Welcome back to another episode of the Sounder at Heart podcast. I am Jeremiah O'Shan. I'm Mark Kastner. This is the Sounder at Heart podcast. Joined by my co-host, Mickey Turner. Casey's the other voice that you hear. Tim Foss. Of course, Ari Lillian Wall. This has been an extremely weird podcast. Getting dragged all day. Just the bottom line is they, they don't have an answer to that. There's a reason they got signed to first team contracts. And if you're not going to give them respect for that, then have fun losing again next Very year. special guest, Brian Spencer, head coach of the CL Sounders. You know who he is. Brian how are you doing? I'd start off, Jeremiah, by saying one thing, and this isn't my quote. I have to attribute this to Tom Dutra. He always says, tough times don't last, tough people do. Welcome to another episode of the Sounder at Heart podcast. I am Jeremiah Shan. Joining me today is Ari Lillianwall and Nico Moreno. Uh, how are you doing, guys? Beautiful day here in Seattle. Yeah, I'm great, Jeremiah. Just looking out my window at all this beautiful precipitation right now. I know, right? You and I are yeah. na- we're Ari and I are neighbors now. But anyway, go ahead, uh, Nico. Oh, nice. Yeah, no, I'm out here in beautiful Yakima, Washington. So coming Ooh. to a different location today. But yeah, it's nice over here. Uh, beautiful weather. So excited to be on with y'all. Yeah, we haven't. I don't. I don't. I'm, I'm sure we've had you on before, but we. Uh, had we needed to get you on today because you were in the the middle of like some good rumors um which we'll get to in a second i I do want to spend a little bit of time talking about the game last night and really we don't need to spend a lot of time on it it was it was not a pretty yeah it it was not a pretty (laughs) game um one of our our good friends aaron campo uh what did he what you you were what it, what was the line you recalled from him, Ari? Yeah, he had a tweet that was like, in terms of just objective entertainment value, that might have been the worst Sounders game of all time. And I, yeah. when I first saw that tweet, I was like, nah, that's probably uh, an exaggeration, a little bit of recency bias there. But then I thought about it, like, what games would I compare it to? And I came to the conclusion that he's probably actually not wrong. It was it was that bad. Yeah, it's terrible. Yeah, it was yeah, quite dude. awful. I mean, it was a combination of a team that typically makes games uh, a little bit difficult for uh, certain teams, or they try to. Obviously, they fail miserably a couple of times because they've gotten some big scores against them. But, you know, they, they, <laughs> they try to at least make it difficult. They, they press high, combined with an awful, terrible field that uh, you could tell guys just having a hard yeah. time even running around uh, I know I heard from some guys that they were switching their cleats and uh, nothing was quite working because that field was so bad yeah and to be clear yeah, it, I, I don't think it was the worst game that the Sounders have ever played you know I don't think a point in that situation was a bad result or anything but I just like the yeah the game the game itself that it was uh it's about as much of a snoozer as it gets yeah, it was the thing that was remarkable about it was that neither team really even came that close to scoring. Stephen Fry made one save. Uh, Will Bruin cleared a ball off the line that was actually a really nice play. Um, and then the, the San Jose keeper only had to make one save as well. And that was like early on on a, on a well-taken Nico Ladero shot. But it was the Sounders were not threatening in this game. At least they weren't putting shots on frame. Their best chance was probably that that uh, Jordan Morris streaking down the the sideline where he made a really great move and I would have much rather seen him try to shoot that ball, but he tried to cross to to Will Bruin 
at the far post and, and just didn't quite connect. Um, but other than that, the Sounders just really didn't do a lot threatening and they just didn't look confident. They didn't look, uh, they didn't look like they were in sync. It was about as far cry from the seven to one went over the earthquakes the last time they played as we could get. Uh, just, just not, just not a, 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 a nothing, you know, this was, I, this is maybe the best stat that I could come up with this thing. The sounder, I, I always look at XG. I don't necessarily think that XG tells the whole story, but I think it's illustrative. They had, the Sounders had 0.3 XG in this game. Even if you added the 0.5 XG from San Jose, which would get us the math majors here, that gets you to 0.8 XG. Combined, that is less than the Sounders had previously had in one game this year. Like, oh, that, that should tell you enough. That should tell you enough about the game. I mean, yeah, it was just difficult exactly. to watch at times, you know, and everybody was in that period. I mean, even Joe Paulo made an awful pass coming out from the back that turned into a potential half chance uh, yeah. uh, for San Jose. So uh, Yamar had a couple of really bad passes coming from the back. And although it's not his forte, uh, he did make some additional bad passes yesterday. So obviously a, a game that just wasn't working well for either team. And it, and it was just hard to watch. Uh, one of the things that I was curious about and that I wasn't able to ask, and I don't know if you guys did because I wasn't part of the press conference, uh, but it was the fact that the first sub for uh, the Sounders came in the 82nd minute. Uh, yeah. You know, I meant to ask about that and, you know, I wish I had, I really do. Cause that was something that a lot of people were wondering about and it was bizarre. Uh, you know, the, the second sub they made was like the 92nd minute, something like that. Kelvin Leardo yes. came on. So they, they, they closed the game with three unused subs. I, I don't know what that was about. You know, I was joking early on, you know, you look at the bench and the bench was full of youth. Uh, the centers at Shandon Hopio, uh, Hopio, uh, Ethan Dobelair, uh, Justin Dillon were among the attacking options that were unused on the bench at the beginning of the match. I had said, I had jokingly said like, well, I guess Brian's going to have to use some of his youth today. <laughs> he did it. He should have. You know who worries me? Justin Dillon. I mean, the guy is just completely lost. I mean, I, I understand that he is uh, the guy that's third in the roster when it comes to that position, but when he's in, in practice, I think he does well. Uh, I think he, I, you know, I he know. has a, I think he has a good body. Uh, uh, he knows how to fit himself in good positions. He even tries some nifty work in, in training. So I don't know. I just I wish that uh, Brian would have done a little bit of that. Miguel comes in the 82nd, man. He typically takes someone a good seven, eight minutes to really warm up into the game, getting some game rhythm. By the time he gets there, the game is over. So it just he, he just seems like he just wasn't really a – a way for him to just use those subs. There should have been some difference. And th that takes us back to the whole Helm, uh, Walla Wana thing because I really do think that he hasn't been used. And and, and I want to ask Brian why it is that he's been so focused on two or three subs. And then it just becomes predictable. It's just the same guys uh, with the same formation. He goes to a back line of five. I mean, I, I just wonder what the thought process behind that is. Well, so regarding Justin Dillon, someone did ask Schmitz about that uh, in the presser after the game and if he considered bringing him on and if he's maybe going to give him a look going forward. And he did say that they talked about it on the bench, maybe bringing him in, uh, but they obviously decided not to do that. But maybe, you know, maybe he will get a look 
uh, in one of these games going forward with Rui Diaz still out. Because, I, you know, I kind of, you know, you're, you're down a forward, so you, you may as well see what you have in some of the minutes that uh, can go around. Because, like you said, Justin Dillon always shows well at training, and he's played really well for Defiance uh, when, he's, when he's played. And I thought he even did some decent things when he got some run with the first team last year, too. So that is – I think that's, that's one to keep an eye on. Yeah, and it's the, sorry, I've got kids in the in the house with me. But uh, yeah, that's Justin Dillon. I feel bad for too because I think I don't think he's played a single competitive minute this year because he wasn't. You know, he wasn't able to get loaned down to. Oh no, no, I take that back. He played some with the Defiance before before the the COVID shutdown. But since since COVID, I don't think he's made a single appearance uh, for the, for anyone because uh, he wasn't able to get loaned down to defiance because they wanted to keep bodies with the first team and then he hasn't played with the with the first team it's a real shame uh and it's and it's you know he's a player who i like you nico i i like him i think he's a good player i think he's an interesting player and um and it's too bad you know this has been a really a lost year in terms of development for a lot of players uh justin dillon is probably the one that first comes to mind because he's also kind of at the tail end of what you would say is development uh, as a developmental player. But, uh, you know, Alfonso Ocampo Chavez has, has not been able to get a, a ton of minutes. Ethan Dobler, you maybe not as worried about because he's, he's young, but uh, you go down the list um, and, you know, you bring up Honduwal Buana, we may as well, that's a good transition into this. We found out this week that he's going to get, or this weekend that he's going to get traded to Nashville SC uh, Brian Schmetzer confirmed that uh, report uh, at the press conference yesterday. And uh, Nico, why don't you share what else you learned about that about that trade? Uh, well, you know, initially uh, I didn't get much details aside from the point that obviously it was a player who they wanted to get more minutes elsewhere. Um, now through the vine of things, I'm starting to hear that obviously he is the one that uh, was kind of hoping to leave the team. Brian made that clear by the way he answered uh, the question about Hanwalawana. And that's obvious because it has to be frustrating for a guy like him uh, to not get any minutes and someone who just like Justin Dillon, I feel like he uh, has a lot of potential and a guy who whenever he's came on for the Sounders has been uh, quite good. Now we also, uh, or the Sounders also get uh, Jimmy Medranda, a Colombian guy from uh, Mosquera, Cundinamarca, Colombia. Uh, who, you know, has played for Sporting Kansas City. Uh, I feel like at 26, he is a proven veteran in MLS. Uh, he is someone who can play left back. He can play winger. He has great services in the box, can push high, uh, a very easy. I think he's great in transition. But his biggest knock is that he hasn't been healthy over the last two years. He started in 10 games total uh, from 2019 to 2018 with Sporting Kansas City. And that's obviously something that, you know, makes you think, uh, you know, we've had guys with injuries before, so that could be, you know, something to watch. But whenever Jimmy Madranda is good and he's healthy, he could definitely be a game changer from his position. Now, you go back to the fact that you already have two good left backs and who also played, you know, left wing, and then you add Jobin Jones to the equation, and you start to think that it might not be the greatest thing uh, or the greatest move. Uh, but you do get a quality player, uh, despite the fact that you're getting maybe – a player who's not feeling a need for the squad. Yeah, well, the funny thing is that when they signed Brad Smith, we thought, well, that that seems like overkill. 
And then, right. and then they signed another left back. <laughs> left back, left back FC, baby. It's, it's the, it's the <laughs> like, building strategy. Yeah. I, I'm a little surprised that, you know, Madranda, like you go back to 2018 and Madranda was actually, you know, when he was playing Madranda, he was, he was considered, you know, statistically one of the better left backs out there. Uh, you know, if they can, if they can get that player, that's, that's some real, that's a real asset. Now, the question is, what did they do with that asset? My suspicion is that Madranda was not a player the Sounders were targeting as much as he was one, he was the, you know, the, that Nashville probably gave the Sounders a list of players who they're willing to part with uh, to kind of make the Buana deal happen. And Madranda was probably the most intriguing of them. And I don't find that hard to believe at all because Nashville's roster is not exactly full of intriguing talent. Yeah, well, the the left back FC thing is definitely good fodder, but Schmetzer did specifically say that he's planning on playing him up a line, so who knows how much he'll actually play at left back. Um, but, you know, I, I don't think it's necessarily a stretch to think that they'll get more out of him than they were getting out of Buana just because, you know, he could get more minutes. Buana always had this potential, but they would just never – really play him enough to like see what he could do so in that sense they might be filling that spot with a player who will actually play more but that comes with less potential upside I guess Um, but I'm looking forward to seeing how Hendwalabwana will do in Nashville because I'll imagine that I imagine that they'll actually give him more run than he got here for sure and I've always wanted to see what he could do if he actually got like anything close to a full load of minutes. So I'll be paying attention to that. Definitely. Yeah. It's got to be a win-win. I mean, it is a win-win because uh, once again, I think very, very highly of Aham Balawana. I think that we did underuse him. I was specifically shocked. And I asked uh, Brian a lot throughout the MLS cup is back uh, tournament uh, where, you know, he even went with Hapeau a couple of times over Hanwala Wana, and he just was mind-blowing to me that you had a guy who has CCL minutes, who uh, every time he's came on, I've always felt like he has given a, a certain spark uh, to the team from his position. You know, he's daring, he's one-on-one-ish, uh, he, he's got pace, and yet he just was completely out of the question. Now, I know that, uh, you know, talking throughout, you know, the, the last couple of weeks after that, I did find out that uh, there was certain concerns about his defensive uh, awareness and his ability to maybe uh, do a little bit of that defensive uh, work that is so necessary under this four, uh, two, three, one that we, uh, that the Sounders uh, always manage. But still, uh, I just thought that he just didn't get enough minutes. Yeah, that, well, that's interesting you say that about maybe his defensive work rate being a concern because you know I think there's kind of a narrative with Hendwalabwana that took hold uh, of like you know when, well when he did get his minutes he didn't do anything with them but I, that's not really true I mean his numbers aren't jumping off the stat sheet but you know four goals and three assists in 1200 minutes isn't nothing especially when you consider that he never really got those minutes like in a consistent time frame they were kind of sporadic but you know he played 170 six minutes this year he had a goal and an assist i think they're both in the same game at mls's back is that or they were both at mls no they were different they were they were both at mls's back they were different games um the game he started 
he had the assist, I think, and then he had an I think he had the goal off the bench against yeah, Chicago. Yeah, right. Yep. Yeah, yeah, that's right. But yeah, you know, like I've always felt like when I watched him play, like he's he's a, the kind of guy where good things just seem to happen when he's when he's on the ball. He also uh, he uh, we always I always uh, talk about this when we debate this on the thread with Mark and Casey and Tim, but he. Uh, he, he he's gotten robbed by the post a couple times. I don't know. I've, I've, I've always kind of liked what he brings to the table, but uh, yeah, I do think that's interesting what you brought up about the defensive side of it, Nico, because that, that could be it. Like we've seen players fall out of favor with Schmetzer in the past because of that. So I don't know, maybe that's, maybe that is what it is. I think, you know, the, there's the other aspect of it is whether or not it was just his defensive work or what was going on. One of the things I thought was really interesting, you know, he hasn't played in, he hadn't played in the Sounders last eight games In three of those games, he wasn't even on the bench. And, and notably in those three games, Hopio, Dylan and Buana were all left off the bench, even though the Sounders had an open spot, uh, which I found pretty curious. I've been trying to figure out what was going on there. And all I could find out was that something like basically something was going on behind the scenes in terms of, and I don't know exactly what it was. It also, like, after uh, Joao Paulo scored that that one that kind of long goal that he scored, um, Schmetzer made some comments about the young players needing to watch what he was doing and kind of just being able to do the sim- simple, making hard stuff simple, kind of this idea. And I just can't help but feel like something was going on in terms of on the training field. And that is unfortunately the area that we all have the least amount of vision of, of you know, we, we've never, like none of us are able to go to training as far as I know. I have no, I haven't been to training. Uh, I assume you guys haven't been going to training because they've been closed. Um, but we, we just have no visibility into what's going on at training right now. And it's, and it's unfortunate because it's harder for us to make sense of a situation like this because we not only are we not seeing what's happening in training, we don't get those kind of like daily updates from the Sounders that we would normally be getting. No, I, I totally agree. I think that's a huge part of why we're not, maybe we don't have that insider look at this point uh, when it comes to the squad and what happened with uh, Hamwalawana. Uh, I do wish that, you know, it's Brian is such a great coach. He uh, knows how to get the best out of each player. I just wish he, uh, and I'm not sure if it's a Brian thing or a Gonzalo Pineda thing, but they have a tendency, especially this year, of just kind of moving the same guys into the field and then going back to the same formation with a three-man backline or five-man backline, however you want to call it, which I absolutely despise and hate. Uh, but they do that often uh, late in the game. So I feel like they become a little predictable, and I wish that they would not do that so much, and I wish that they would let some of these guys uh, play. I hope when Danny Leva is back and he's healthy, now that he's training, I really hope that they use him a little bit more and they see what they can get out of these young players every now and then. You don't have to do it all the time, but I think it's important to rotate these players in. Now, I think Hanwell Awana will get a lot of minutes with Nashville, uh, I was talking to some guys uh, down there, and um, they brought the, up the fact that Alex Mule was a guy who, with New York, was not getting a lot of minutes, and they didn't really think he was going to be, you know, a great player. He came on into a developing team or a team that's kind of in the rise, and now he plays almost every game. So uh, I think that maybe he'll 
it'll be better for him. It'll be better for the Sounders that they don't have to deal with that specific situation. Yeah, it's a perfect place when you think about it, uh, when you think about where Nashville's team is at. I mean, they haven't really been able to score goals consistently all year, and they could really use some creativity and guys that are goal dangerous. So in theory, ideal setting for him to, to thrive should they actually give him those minutes. I mean, would I rather have Cadiz than Madronda? Sure, I would. <laughs> but I mean, what you see, what you get is what you get. And obviously, just I think uh, Jeremiah has a great point. They probably had a list of, you know, five guys, four guys that they were available to pick from. And he was probably the one that had the most value, at least when it comes yeah. to uh, quality. And, and it does create an interesting, it, it creates some interesting scenarios where they, you know, I suppose it gives them some more flexibility with a player like Nuhu. Like if a, a big, you know, a, and I would think Nuhu is a very tradable asset if they wanted to trade him or transfer him. That, you know, it, it gives them that added flexibility of potentially being able to do that. Um, and it also seems like there's some allocation money coming in this trade. I wouldn't necessarily hold out a lot of hope for it being a big number, but, um, you know, it's it's something I, I think the Sounders were probably genuinely trying to do right by, and finding him a place that he would be able to get more minutes. And the Sounders have kind of made a reputation of, you know, if guys don't want to be here, they, they want to accommodate them. And, um, and if that's what, you know, and so I, I don't necessarily blame them for that. And it's not like, like we said, they weren't using them a ton. So it's, it's not necessarily a, a huge short-term loss in that perspective. But you guys alluded to uh, this kind of tight rotation. And I thought Tim had this great observation. I don't know if he's actually shared it on the podcast or not, but he uh, did some research into this. And outside of the top 14 players, the Sounders have have given the second fewest percentage of minutes to players outside that group. Uh, only New York City FC essentially has a tighter rotation than the Sounders do. Uh, and that I think we see that, and especially in a game like last night, where even when the Sounders have their hands tied in terms of who's available off the bench. They just choose not to use those players. Uh, you know, they're, they're down, they were down something like five starters last night. And they basically chose to not dig any deeper into their bench than they normally would. Uh, and it's, and it is curious because I think that what's frustrating is that this has just been, you know, it's been such a weird year and it's been, you know, in, in so many ways, I, I think, you know, if the Sounders go on and win MLS Cup, I think you you kind of shrug your shoulders and you go, yeah, we'll take it. But if they if they don't, it's it's there's some frustrating aspects of this not being, you know, they're not moving the moving the the developmental process forward. Like it's been kind of a, a frustrating year in that way that they just haven't been able to get minutes for Josh Atencio. Really, they haven't been able to get minutes for. You know, like I said, Dobler and 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 Ocampo Chavez, and you go down the list. Buana being kind of the most notable because uh, he's now gone. But uh, just kind of a, a frustrating situation all around. Um, one other thing I wanted to to make sure we talk about though, Nico, is you you ended up with quite the the, the scoop on uh, Nico Ladero. Apparently, is drawing interest from from a Saudi Arabian team. What what can you tell us what's what's going on with that? Yeah, well, Nicolas Odero uh, is uh, coming into what I call, uh, you know, the last guarantee year of his contract this year in December. Uh, then the club has obviously a club option, which they always th uh, end up using in their high-profile players. They've used it in Roman before and Aussie. This is just kind of what the club does to ensure that the player doesn't necessarily go free in, in the last 
possible year that they could still have him here. Um, Nicolas Ladero has been a player who has had a lot of interest in the past uh, from uh, the uh, Saudi uh, Pro League and specifically on the SAR where um, now uh, Pete Gonzalez is at. Uh, I know that they had uh, at least approach, um, I would like to call it uh, Nicolas Odero's group, uh, those uh, that are close to him, those that are uh, representing him. Uh, and I say that because not necessarily one person, it's just kind of intermediate people that work with them. Uh, and with that saying, uh, it just, it's a, a league that's always wanted a player of his uh, potential and caliber. Uh, we see that Jovinko's there. We see that Matriza ended up going down there. Uh, Petey Martinez, obviously, they have a lot of scouting in the MLS and they see a league where they could potentially uh, grab players that are interesting, that have a certain profile and that they could one, keep to uh, make their league a little bit more watchable or a little bit more marketable. And uh, in the case of Petey uh, Martinez, uh, a player that they could potentially sell. So um, with saying all that, um, I got a scoop that obviously uh, this uh, undisclosed uh, Saudi pro league team uh, was looking for Nicolas Odero, was already making uh, quote unquote inquiries uh, in terms of uh, the longevity of his contract, they knew it was coming to an end uh, and exactly how happy or uh, what would it would take for uh, them to lure the Sounders captain. So uh, it does uh, create a, a certain situation for Seattle because players of the caliber of Nicolas Sodero typically uh, have this sense that the team will um, do right by them and extend their contract prior to the last year of their contract because there's injury problems there is this is a security they expect that and when that doesn't happen it can push players to become uh to have a negative impact on uh, their outlook into the team you know who says that he could potentially even push a player to not play or or i'm, I'm not sure just negotiation can get rocky at a certain time, especially when there's other offers on the table. So uh, basically what I have is that alone, that uh, there are no offers or talks with Sounders, but that uh, an undisclosed Saudi Pro League team is already making inquiries and very interested in uh, Nicolas Odero. So the big question I have, and I don't know that you necessarily would have the answer to this, is like what – the, like the Sounders clearly are going to exercise Ladero's option for next year. I, I think it makes sense that Ladero would like to have some stability beyond next season. I know players in general don't like to go into a contract year uh, like that, where they, they, they don't know where they're going to be playing. Uh, they they want to plan for their future and he has every right to, to do that. Um, I, I am curious how likely this is to play out in a similar vein as the Diego Valeri situation in Portland last year where, you know, basically they went back and forth and, and ultimately they agreed to a deal that set uh, Valeria up I, for a, at least for a couple more years. And basically they, they put them on a contract that would be at the max of whatever a TAM contract was. Uh, I have no idea. You know, and it's not that like Ladero is not so far above that number now that that seems impossible but I would imagine that any contract offer he got in Saudi Arabia would be considerably more than that. Um, and so I, I suppose that just kind of would potentially come down to what his preference is. But I, I, am, I am kind of just wondering, like, what kind of transfer fee 
can the Sounders expect to get if, you know, if a Saudi team comes in and says, hey, we'll pay you $4 million a year, um, which I would imagine the Sounders probably aren't going to match. Um, but do you have any sense of what it would take for the Sounders to, to let Ladero walk uh, on the final year of his contract? I think they'll at least try to get, you know, a, a, a million uh, and a little bit uh, type of transfer fee, um, just to try to get some uh, type of uh, money back from their initial uh, contribution or their initial investment in Nicolas Odero. And that's the reason why they would exercise the last year uh, of a contract. I have no no uh, inside information about what that would look like or what that would be, but that's just uh, what I logically see from this happening and you brought up a good point with the whole Valeri situation with Timbers that's what I am kind of luring to and what would make this a difficult situation you know I see a Seattle Sanders team that is competing for uh, you know another MLS Cubs they're a contender they're first in the conference uh, if come playoff time they have an unhappy Nicolas Adero and you get that same Portland situation that could be difficult for the club could be difficult for the players so so that, that, that's mainly what I'm looking at because I, I, I do believe that despite the desire for a Saudi Arabia team to take um, Nicolas Lero, I would doubt that they would pay a very huge transfer fee. You know, that's why I would think that it'd be in the million to 1.5 uh, to, to move the player off his contract. And so is this a move that you think could potentially happen before the end of this, like, are, are you are you suggesting that this could potentially happen before the end of the season? No, 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 absolutely. Oh, not. okay. No, what I'm saying is that it could drive a player into, you know, uh, not forcing a team, but letting the team see how important he's to the squad by maybe taking a couple of games off or, you know, just creating that type of situation where, I mean, it all goes back to the uh, Valeri situation, just like you said it. I mean, that's basically what I was kind of leading to in a, a, a player with, with that importance. I mean, there's no doubt that Seattle is, uh, that Nicolas Lodero is the most important player in the history of the Seattle Sounders. He's been the most impactful, the most productive. You know, he gave this team the very first title. Uh, he's so crucial and important. And uh, if you're thinking that JP is going to just magically move into the 10th position and be Nicolas Lodero, then you're going to, be very surprised that that's not the case because I just think they're very different players. So I really hope that that, that Garth and Garth and management don't see that being the case because that's another thing that kind of makes me believe that maybe Seattle might play a little bit of hardball and that's my make this a difficult situation. Yeah, I can't imagine that they would see it like that. I mean, they know how crucial he is. The whole team is built around him. I think you could argue that he's the most influential player for his individual team, like out of any player in the league. So you have to think that that would drive a lot of what they're asking for, which is that we've built our entire team around this guy. And, you know, it, it's a situation where without him there, there's a huge, huge drop off. And we've all seen that over the years since he's been here. So yeah, it's, it's interesting though. You know what it reminds me of is remember, a couple years ago when the Chinese Super League uh, started buying all these players and it kind of like came in out of nowhere. I feel like that's kind of similar to what's happened with the Saudi Arabian League where all of a sudden uh, in the last like, I don't know, year or so, 
just we've seen a lot of exodus from MLS to that league. It was kind of like maybe starting with Giovinco, and then there's been a bunch of other guys too. Absolutely. I mean, Andres Carrillo, who could arguably be the MVP for Peru in the last uh, qualifier week, uh, plays in the Saudi Arabia team. I mean, I saw a stat. I keep forgetting uh, what exactly it was, but a lot of the goals that came off from qualifiers were from players that were playing in that league in Comeball. So it's it's honestly one of those things that you're absolutely right. He comes in waves. He comes in trends. And that's exactly what makes me uh, – typically, I don't I – don't, uh, take a story out before I have a lot of concise information or uh, inside stuff. But this is such a interesting situation because of that same wave that I feel like I had to get it out now. Uh, and of course, it will continue to develop and see where it leads. Uh, but it's definitely something to watch. I mean, I would like to think that the uh, like I just from what I've seen of Nico, I have a hard time imagining this being too impactful on his immediate state of mind like you know they've got two months before the end of the season my suspicion is that this could be a very interesting off season like this is just me speaking from what i've seen from the outside if you you might have better information than me but to me where i see this playing out is in the off season and the sounders basically negotiating with nico over you know do you want to be here for long term and are you willing to take less money to do that, like spread out over a long time? Or do you want more money to go to Saudi Arabia? And I, and I don't know. I can't, I can't really blame the player for wanting to go either way. Like he, you know, from all appearances, uh, players in Saudi Arabia can live pretty nice lifestyles. And, um, and so I, I don't doubt that you could, he could set himself up pretty nicely over there. Um, but it'll be interesting. It'll definitely be interesting to see. It would be, it'd be painful to see Nico leave. I, I am curious. I would think the centers know that they have to replace him with a high profile transfer. Uh, and I think there's just no way that you can replace Nico Ladero internally. Like that's like Joe Paolo can fill in on a game by game basis, but he is not a number 10 for a 34 game season in the playoffs. Uh, you know, Christian Roldan can, can spell him for, you know, a late game, you know, he can, you can move into there for a game or two, but again, not a, not a long-term answer. I don't think at that position. Um, and, but what's, what's, you know, it's, it's funny just today, uh, MLS came out with a, a story that talked about some of these kind of advanced stats and who was at the top of miles run per game, but Nico Ladero with something like seven and a half miles covered per game, which uh, is pretty amazing. And then him and, and Jao Paulo were, uh, both in the top three of touches per game, over 90 touches per game. Um, that's not an easy thing. Those things are not easy to replace. I mean, you can you can talk about how those are like hustle stats or something, but those I think speak to almost adding, like you put Jao Paulo, Christian Roldan, and uh, Nico Ladero in a midfield, and that's almost like adding a 12th player because of how much ground they cover, because of how much, you know, they can do in terms of moving defenses around and, and forcing them to react. Um, replacing Nico Ladero is going to be a very challenging thing, whether it happens this coming off season or in a few off seasons from now. Um, I am curious how, like, let's assume the Sounders want to keep Ladero around for a few years. How many years do we think that, that he can actually stay somewhere near his 
peak performance? That is a great question. Yeah. I, uh, I mean, so this year he looks like he always had, what is he at? What is he 31 now? Yeah. I mean, he almost looks better. Like I would say since MLS is back, he's looked as good, if not better than he has ever looked before to me. Yeah. And he's, you know, freakishly fit, obviously like looking at the work rate numbers, takes really good care of himself, trains really hard. I, I honestly think he could probably sustain this level for two or three more years past this year. And then, I don't know, you look at a guy like Valeri, who is 34, 35 now, and he's still doing it at a pretty high level, but he doesn't, he can't play 90 every week at that level anymore. But I, when you take into account Ladero, like everything that he does in preparation and taking care of himself and staying as fit as he does. I don't really have trouble seeing him playing at this level for two or three more years. That's kind of how I see it. Yep. Same with me. I mean, if, if I had a say in it and obviously I could figure out the numbers cause I'm no guys lagger way, you know, a two year contract with a third year option would be something that you could do. Um, yeah. Because I do feel like that's about the range of a player in his position with his soccer IQ, with his um, discipline. Cause I think that if there are some players that just, preach discipline is Nico, Yamar, Christian, Rodan. I mean, these are guys that in the off season and their off time are, are just already working on that, you know, the, where there is core work, whether it is just cardio. I mean, these guys are just doing a little bit of everything to keep their bodies in top shape. And I can tell you, I can absolutely tell you that Nico is one of those guys that is always thinking about his body, whether it's what he eats, what he drinks, uh, how he works out, what he does in the weekdays. I mean, I got some stories about him working out with just to the point where the team is like, okay, you gotta, you can't be working out so much. I mean, it, it's just, the guy is just about that life. He's about taking care of his body and he has so many contacts and uses back in Uruguay that, you know, he could work with guys that are part of the national team and uh, those trainers. I mean, he, he just does it all in order to keep his body in top shape. Yeah, it feels like two to three years is maybe even on the conservative side of yeah. what the Sounders can expect. Um, and what's also, I think, really encouraging about Nico is that he doesn't necessarily need to be a 10 to be an effective player. Like, if let's just say he's not able to, to move the way he moves now. Uh, he's got a pretty good range that he can still fall into, and maybe he's not an elite number eight, but I think he could be in a very effective number eight if he needed to be. Um, I think he can, you can, you can game plan him into like, he has, he has a skill set that's not just about how much he moves. You know, he's a very good passer. He uh, is a creative player in lots of ways. And I think the Sounders could probably use him in a variety of different ways, especially if they surround him with the right kind of, the right kind of pieces. So there's no reason that they need to be, like there's nothing on Nico's side that they need to be preparing to move on from. Uh, it's just how, how committed are they willing to be? But I think, yeah, getting him to 34, locking him up through his age 34 season, I think would be a very smart move by the Sounders. And, and I think that's probably what we're all hoping happens here. Right. I know I do. Uh, and once again, uh, I hope it happens sooner rather than later, because once again, I just continue to go back to everything that I've seen behind the scenes when it comes to players, because there's a certain point where pride comes into 
the equation. You know, oh man, you know the team's trying to not do me right. They're not valuing me enough. Uh, do they really want me to be here? And once those things get in between negotiations and just the stats and the facts, that's when things get rocky. So I really hope that Seattle at least starts to talk to him and 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 get his sense of where he's at before anything's happened. Because I don't want to see an Aussie thing happen or a Roman thing where, you know, sometimes players just want to go because they feel undervalued. So I hope that's not the case with Nico because he – if there's a player that deserves to be here when he's 33, 34, it's Nicolas Dodero. I mean, you could say that same thing about Ozzy because I still feel like he needs a statue in front of Starfire. But Nicolas Dodero is right there next to him because of everything he's done for this club and what it's meant uh, in terms of wins. And just uh, he's a, a cornerstone, a pillar uh, of the success of this franchise. Absolutely. He is. Uh... Without question, I think the most important player the Sounders have ever had, he's the most successful player the Sounders have ever had. It's impossible to imagine them reaching the heights that they've been at for uh, these last five years without Nico's influence. And I think in a lot of ways, they've changed the perception of what the Sounders can can be, frankly. I mean, they went from it's it's you know, at some point I would love to dig into this, but it's what they've managed to do is is just not. Uh, is not a normal trajectory. It's, you know, most common you see teams that hover around elite but never kind of break through the top. Uh, they're more likely to, if they don't break through by a certain point, they're more likely to completely fall off. The sound advantage to hang around the top and then break through. Uh, and that's and that's a lot of that is, is about getting a player like Nico Ladero. Um, and I would, I really do hope that they, uh, they figure out a way to keep him around here long term because it would be great to be able to think of Nico as, you know, kind of like among the pantheon of, of great sounders. And I mean, I think he's already kind of in that place, but to really cement his status as kind of like, this is the team that people most identify him with. Uh, well, and great, you know, great Seattle, great, great Seattle athletes, I think. Right, like, exactly. You know, when, you th- when you think about like the two championships he's delivered since he's been here, like you're going to yeah, have to start absolutely. putting them up there. Absolutely. Well, um, that's probably a good place to, to call this a, a show. Uh, thanks to everyone for, for listening. Um, I'm Jeremiah Shan, uh, signing off for Ari Lillianwall and Nico Moreno. This is the Sandra at Heart podcast, and uh, we'll see you around next time.